they took about maybe a dozen or so of us. They, they shot us with 90-pound pressure fire hoses. They sprayed us with chemical mace. And then they cut all ventilation off so that we thought that we were going to die. That was the act, the barbaric act on the part of the prison administration that brought the black and the white prisoners together. You know, we forgot about who was the Nazi and who was the devil and all that shit and, and, and started fighting together as prisoners against the prison administration. Welcome to Fight Back Radio, production of fightbacknews.org, taking you to the heart of the people's struggle. I'm your host, Richard Berg. And today's episode is uh, the executive director of the National Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression, Frank Chapman, talking about his book, The Damn Don't Cry. Um, And this is his life story. And uh, we're just going to give you a few tidbits here and there. There's I encourage you strongly to purchase the book yourself. Um, The other thing is we want to do is encourage you to go to the National Alliance's uh, convention. This is the 50th anniversary, uh, November 3rd through the 5th, of the National Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression. This started out as uh, committees to free Angela Davis and all political prisoners. Uh, so Frank will talk about these things in the interview. And uh, I'm not going to give you a long introduction today because uh, um, Frank's uh, uh, book is about, it's his memoirs, so you're going to get his life story. Um, or at least a little bit of it, and he'll introduce himself. So here it is, uh, Frank Chapman. So I'm here with uh, Frank Chapman, who's uh, the executive director of the National Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression and uh, the field organizer for the Chicago Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression. And we're here to talk about the second edition of his first book, which is uh, The Damned Don't Cry. And it's a it's a, a memoirs or autobiography, and so I'm looking forward to getting into this. Um, and I, I'll say right up front, I encourage everybody to go to um, international publishers, which is I N T P U B N Y C, and we'll put this in the show notes dot com, and you can order the book there. You can also order it from uh, fightbacknews.org. Uh, so uh, we want, I want to encourage people to read the book, but we're going to dive into Frank's life a little bit here. Uh, welcome to Fight Back Radio, Frank. Glad to be here, Richard. Yes, it's great to have you. Um, so a lot of your life is, uh, you know, been in uh, uh, conflict with uh, the United States criminal justice system from the, the start almost to, to the finish. Um, and uh, I want to, you know, start out a little bit with... Uh, um, you know, your early years and, and, you know, can you tell us a little bit, uh, you grew up in St. Louis. Can you tell us a little bit about, uh, uh, growing up in St. Louis and what it was like there as a, a youth in, uh, the forties and fifties? Yeah. Uh, I was born in 1942. Uh, these memoirs go back to, uh, when I was uh, seven years old, uh, which is, uh, 1949, uh, and you might say that's when my uh, uh, conscious development be- began, you know, as, uh, as as far as I can recall. And uh, what I remember about growing up in St. Louis is, 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 is some very uh, harsh memories. Uh, also, some endearing memories, too. Uh, I come from a large family. My mother had 12 children. I was the first 
I was the first of 12. We were very poor. Uh, at the time that I was coming up, uh, uh, I was living in tenement housing in, on the uh, near south side of St. Louis uh, in what is known as the Mill Creek area. And they still had outdoor toilets. Uh, oh my the, gosh. Yeah, in the, in the uh, all the way up until the uh, mid 50s. They, I don't think they got rid of the outdoor toilets like around, around 1956. Uh, and uh, I lived in an area where there was outdoor toilets. I lived right across the tracks from the packing houses. So there was the, the, the stench of the packing houses. There was the outdoor toilets. And it was really a bad slum, you know. And um, the best thing about it was that we went to Catholic school. Uh, my mother was Catholic. Uh, her people were Catholics. And we went to Catholic school. And what was good about that was we uh, we had uh, breakfast and lunch at the, at, the, uh, at the Catholic school. Well, we had breakfast in the kindergarten, and then after you got out of the kindergarten, you just had lunch, as I recall. Uh, so that was the best thing I remember about that school. Uh, they had a pretty uh, a stiff learning learning regiment, but uh, I, I remember the nuns were kind of brutal. Uh, they would they would they they beat you a lot with rulers, uh, hard hard rulers on the hand, you know. And uh, also, uh, they they would make you sit in the in the corner f for hours by yourself if you did something wrong. It seemed like I was always doing something wrong. I was always getting beat on my hand, and I was always sitting in the corner. Uh, <laughs> I, like I said, the only thing I liked about that school really was uh, uh, I, I ate while I was there, you know. Um, but other than that, I, I, I was I really wasn't in love with it. Uh, in fact, I, I I didn't hardly like. By the time I got seven, eight years old, it wasn't too much that I liked about anything in terms of my life. You know, I, I didn't like I didn't like uh, being in school. Uh, although I was studious, I, 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 I did read. You know, I've, I've all, as far back as I can remember, I had a reading habit. Uh, but I, I did I didn't like it. I, I, I didn't I didn't like the institution. So you're, you're describing a, a whatever, you know, a backbreaking kind of poverty situation that you were living in in St. Louis. And, uh, you know, the early parts of your book, uh, um, you know, and, and throughout your book, uh, what you said about wanting to learn and being a good student uh, comes through. Um, but also, you know, you got in a lot of trouble, uh, you know, maybe a middle class uh, uh nuns or whoever might say you were a naughty child or whatever and uh, yeah. uh but i think you describe yourself at one point as a street urchin can you talk a little bit about that well I, I i ran away from home a lot the first time i ran away from home i was seven years old and and uh, why did i run away from home i ran away from home because what was at home was poverty and and and, and beatings and that sort of thing and believe it or not in the streets I, I I had opportunities to kind of improve on my life. Uh, in the streets, uh, uh, I, I wasn't beaten, you know. Uh, I mean, we'd have little, little, little skirmishes and fights and stuff with with, with our peers, but um, there wasn't any uh, in, any any uh, any beatings like I received at home, and and uh, 
you know, and 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 we 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 managed to get food by stealing. You know, we we uh, 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 we stole things, you know, uh, uh, from from the stores and and, and whatnot. And uh, you know, we developed various tactics about how to go into a store and steal stuff. Some of us would uh, distract the owner, while others, uh, 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 you know, took merchandise out of the stores. And uh, as I think back about it, a, a lot of the stuff we uh, we stole was food, you know. Um, and and sometimes we would, we would break in a store uh, after it closed, and uh, we we wasn't necessarily trying to empty out the cash register because usually there wasn't nothing in the cash register after they closed. Uh, we were emptying off the shelves, you know. Canned goods, you know, and and stuff like that. Uh, bread, you know, uh, edibles, you know, st stuff that we could eat uh, in the street. So uh, we uh, we fended for ourselves in that way, you know. There's stories about poor kids doing this all around the world, you know. Uh, I remember when I got older, I saw movies about Brazil, where the, the poor kids down there lived pretty much the way we did in St. Louis. I saw movies about India where the poor kids they were living pretty much the way that we did in St. Louis. So the poverty was 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 as raw and naked as poverty anywhere. And uh and brutal, you know. So we uh we did what we had to do to survive, you know. Uh we slept in abandoned cars, we slept in abandoned buildings, we we slept in coal sheds, uh, you know, uh in the winter time, we uh, uh, we uh, 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 we stole cars so we could uh, use the heat from the car, you know, and 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 things of that sort. And also, we uh, uh, we, we we stole electricity and 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 and, uh, and 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 used electric heaters, you know. Uh, sometimes we caught sheds on fire like that. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was uh, it was it was it was. Uh, uh, a struggle for survival, you know. Uh, but uh, eventually, this puts you in a, even as a young, uh, a young person uh, in conflict with uh, the criminal justice system. Uh, you were uh, you were caught doing some of these things and ended up yeah, in yeah, and taken to jail. First time I was arrested, I was seven years old, and I was arrested for being out uh, uh, after the curfew. The curfew was. Uh, if you if you wasn't seventeen years old, you had to be in the house by eleven o'clock, and uh, I uh, I was out on the streets because uh, I was a street urchin, you know, and uh, uh, I was arrested and taken to the police station, and I remember the police. I was too young to be put in the cell, so they made me sit on a bench in the hallway. And they told me that they had alligators in the basement, and they were going to feed me to those alligators. <laughs> and I and I believed that, you know. So I was a little terrified. But uh, my grandmother came. Uh, we called her Mama Chapman. She came and got me, and she uh, really bawled the police out for treating me that way. And um, and I, I, I guess the first time I was physically beaten by the police, I may have been uh, eight or nine years old, you know. And uh, that as a result of a burglary that I had, I had done. Um, and uh, I got I got caught. And, uh, and and uh, I didn't get caught inside the place. I got caught uh, a few blocks away. And so they tried to make me confess to be, having been in the place, having just left there, and I wouldn't do it. And so I got I got beaten. And, uh, and so eventually I, I, I gave in and told them 
that yeah, I, I, I was the one. And uh, I was sent to, uh, to juvenile behind that, you know. And so I, 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 I was in and out of ju juvenile detention a lot uh, between uh, 1948 and 1950-51. Uh, uh, so could you tell us a little bit about uh, juvenile detention and... Uh... And also, you know, now, you know, you've, you've been able, like I said, you, you've been, uh, uh, you've had a lot of experience with the criminal justice system. Looking back, uh, you know, at those days, uh, what effect did that have on you, uh, positive or negative? And uh, what, what, what is uh, probably, uh, you know, you have thoughts on uh, how to, you know, how to deal with, uh, with crime for, uh, for use even now? Well, you know, those... Uh, uh... I didn't. I didn't draw no lessons like that back then, but uh, uh, you know, ju juvenile d d detention at that time was uh, 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 pretty brutal. Uh, we were actually put in. We were actually in jails. Uh, it's not like the juvenile detention centers of today. We were. We were in jails. That we were. We were detained in cells and dormitories. You know, all it, all, all on the same floor. You know, uh, if you uh, if you acted out, they they locked you up in the cell, uh, and so there was not that much difference between the juvenile joint and and the adult joint in terms of uh, uh, the detention. Uh, the uh, the food was uh, was lousy, and, and and the treatment was uh, was, was terrible. You know, uh, by the time I got what. Uh, Let's see, 1950, uh, yeah, 1953, I think it was. Uh, yeah, 1953, I was 11 years old. I was sent to reform school as a juvenile, a place called Bell Fountain Farms. Just when I was sent out there, they was just eliminating what they called the strap. The strap was a razor strap, you know, about a foot and a half long. And, uh, if you ran away or if you if you did infractions, uh, the house parents uh, or house parent, you know, most of that most of the cottages out there that they that you were housed in had a man and a woman who were called house parents. There was only one cottage I think that had just a man over it, uh, and that was for the bigger guys. Uh, and and at, at any rate, uh, we were beaten. We were beaten with those straps on, on, on our hands, like you got uh, 10 licks or, or, or you can get up to 15 licks, you know. And uh, after they uh, they beat you up with the strap, they would put alcohol on your butt, you know, uh, as, as, as a form of treatment. And, of course, that would burn because, you know, it's like putting alcohol on a fresh wound, you know. So uh, they outlawed those uh, while I was out there. They stopped the... Uh, they stopped. They stopped the beating with strap. Wow, that's that's incredible. So, so um, uh, this is what was going on with kids in the criminal justice system back in the early early fifties, early fifties, and uh, I ran away from that. I had, I had forty seven runaways. I ran away from that place every chance I got, and and of course that brought me into more contact with the police. Because I, 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 I run away, I'd get arrested and get brought back and that sort of thing. So uh, that went on until nineteen, uh, uh, till nineteen fifty four, 
in the summer of 1954, uh, the superintendent of the uh, of Bell Fountain Farms made a, uh, asked me to enter an agreement with him. And the agreement was I would not run away for six weeks and they would let me go home. And so I, I, I accepted that agreement and they, and they kept their part of, of, of the deal. They let me go home. And by then my mother had moved out of the worst part of the ghetto to a better part, you know, where they didn't have outdoor toilets, where, where we had uh, our own bathrooms and stuff, uh, a much better neighborhood. Yeah, so, uh, and, and, you know, you talk also in your book, there's a number of people that, uh, you know, tried to help you during those days, uh, and you mentioned them, you had you know, your mother, of course, and uh, your Aunt Lola, uh, you mentioned, and uh, um, there's uh, Mrs. Randolph, you talk about, you know, some of these uh, people, um, can you, uh, what's your reflection on, on some of that and what they were trying to do? Well, Ms. Randolph, she came from the Catholic Charities. Uh, she was uh, a black woman who, uh, who who had originally wanted to be a nun, but that didn't work out. So she became a social worker for the uh, Catholic Charities. She, uh, you know, she, she saw my, uh, uh, my eagerness to learn things, particularly about reading books and stuff. And so she saw, uh, she saw something in me that I didn't see in myself at the time, and that was that, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I was I was good prospects for for an education, and so uh, she uh, she really went all out to try to get me uh, uh, involved in uh, furthering my education, and she used to talk to me quite a bit about how uh, the only way a black person could advance and get out of that. The, that rut that I was in was by educating themselves and that I could become a, a, a sort of like an example for my race and whatnot. You know, she believed in the, uh, in, in the Jackie Robinson story, you know. Uh, she believed that, uh, you know, uh, there were exceptional black people who, uh, who, who, who bettered themselves through education and sports and stuff and that they became an example for other black people and the credit to their race, and it, and and that and that helped to improve the black condition. She she believed that 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 was her, that was her belief, and a whole lot of other people believe that too. I act like they believed it, and uh, so she tried to get me involved in the in, in this private uh, boarding school called Saint Joseph School for Boys, which was a Catholic boarding school for uh, 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 for juveniles. And uh, it was really for middle, middle, middle class and wealthy kids. And, and, and uh, through the Catholic Charities, she got me in there. I don't know how she did it, but she got me in there. And uh, at first I really thought, wow, it was like uh, uh, really a great thing because uh, uh, I ate better than I'd ever be ate in my life. The living conditions were, uh, were very good. It was all kind of recreation and stuff, you know. Uh, we lived very well, you know. Uh, and and uh, uh, you know, it was it was it was all, all fun and joy at first. But you know, uh, it was also a, a, a racist institution. You know, uh, there was only a, two black kids there, me and another one, and um, he had kind of adjusted to the situation. And uh, 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 but still, they 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 treated us bad. You know, it was discriminatory. Uh, 
you know, uh, uh, the, uh, the the white kids there, you know, uh, uh, were, were, couldn't hold their tongues. They was always calling us niggers and stuff like that, you know. And I got I got into a lot of fights, you know. And I was pretty good with my hands because I had been going to reform school, you know. And uh, you learn how to fight in reform school. So, uh, uh, you know, but if I was getting the best of one of them, uh, the coach or one of the white adults would come up and uh, and physically uh, uh, punch me in the head or something and, 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 and get me off of them, you know. Uh, so in, in, in spite of all that, I, de- I developed, I developed some friendships with some of the uh, some of the white guys there, but the main thing I developed a friendship with was the black students at the uh, at the at the at the off campus schools I went to. They would send us out from the boarding school to go to other schools if you were like in the fifth, sixth, and seventh grade, and so uh, I uh, uh, I was going off to to, to some of the board, to some of the off campus schools, and I met some. Uh, some black students that also lived in that area, uh, who were, you know, who were poor like I was, uh, and they, and they weren't in no boarding school. So I, I so I, I struck up friendships with them. But by and large, I wanted to get back where I came from. Uh, I was I was not comfortable in that situation. So just like I ran off from reform school, I ran off from that. I ran ran away, and and went home. Well. It wasn't a crime to run away from that, so they didn't send the police looking for you or nothing. So the first couple of times I ran away, Miss Randolph talked me into going back, and they accepted me back. And then uh, I ran away uh, again, and it finally got to the point where they wouldn't accept me back no more. And then I ended back up in the streets doing the things that I knew how to do, you know. So I'm going to, we could talk to you a long time. You've had a a long and full life, so I'm going to speed forward a little bit. But you were in and out of, uh, you know, uh, in different schools and, and you know, whatever, uh, different uh, institutions. You mentioned uh, in the book about uh, um, that you escaped at one point from a, a, a hospital, a mental health hospital. Yeah. And then, uh, but you would, you know, you after that, you got, you know, you were involved in, you know, whatever, armed robberies, some higher levels of crime. And this eventually... Um, you know, you know, it, it takes us to a point where you're wrongfully convicted. Can you talk about that period of time? Yeah, that well, led up to that. Well, after I left St. Joseph, I, I really got back involved in in, in the street life. Uh, you know, and and I was committing crimes again, and uh, and being arrested again, and going back to uh, 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 reform school again. This time, I went up to uh, 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 I went up a higher, a higher notch. And uh, uh, was in a, a more uh, uh, a tougher reform school called Boonville, and then after I came out of that, I uh, I committed an armed robbery, uh, and uh, I was with uh, some some guys that were older than me. They were uh, they were uh, young adults, you know, like they were like eighteen and stuff like that, and uh, I was what about. Uh, 15 or 16, and uh, it, it was at that time that uh, my mother went to the went to the uh, juvenile judge and, my, and the juvenile probation officer and told them that when I was seven years old, I had a uh, I had a brain operation because of a brain tumor, and that I was maybe suffering from some brain damage, 
that that might be the cause of, uh, of, 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 of my antisocial criminal behavior. So uh, they, they, the probation officer, he didn't believe that. He, he said, well, I, I just think Frank is a sociopath. He says, but what I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to give you, because my mother literally begged him. She says, so I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to uh, uh, send him to uh, the hospital for six weeks observation uh, to determine uh, whether he has mental illness or not. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and and if this has any causal relationship to him uh, committing crimes, and and because and, and, and they were gonna certify me as an adult and try me for armed robbery otherwise. And so I went to the mental hospital and I stayed there. That six weeks turned into six months and that six months turned into damn near a year. And I was still there. And while I was there, you know, um, they were putting me through uh, uh, the treatment that they was putting uh, 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 other residents there through. Uh, I didn't get shock treatment, but I did get uh, 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 hydro, some kind of hydrotherapy where they uh, wrapped you up in ice cold sheets and whatnot for a couple of hours uh, as a disciplinary measure. And, uh, and the treatment in there was uh, also harsh. And uh, I mean, that movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo Nest with, with Jack Nicholson, that, that, was, that was nothing compared to where I was at. Where I was at uh, was a crime against humanity, the way they treated us in there, you know, and uh, and I ran away, you know, I I, I, I ran away, and uh, uh, I ran away and, and 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 eventually ended up in Chicago with some uh, with some uh, friends of mine that I grew up in the streets with, you know, and uh, and, uh, and 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 I got a job and I got married and uh, I came back to St. Louis, uh, got unemployed and, and, and my marriage wasn't working out so well and I became destitute uh, and went back to Chicago and tried to uh, get a job and it, it, it didn't work out. So uh, I, I, I came back to St. Louis and got involved with uh, you know the guys that I'd come up with uh, uh, got involved in, in, in crime again and uh, 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 a robbery was committed and uh, uh, I was supposed to have been involved in it uh, and uh, uh, there was somebody that was killed. Uh, I uh, I was pretty uh, messed up at the time. You know, like I, uh, I had been doing drugs and alcohol you know, on a very intense level uh, by the time this robbery took place. And I, I could not remember or recall uh, any of what they were talking about uh, in, terms of, in terms of the robbery. I, all I remember is, is that uh, uh, I remember running down an alley, you know, and uh, uh, I remember being with this person that I, I hardly didn't even hardly know. You know, so I was in a pretty messed up state of mind. And uh, uh, I remember being arrested and I remember being, being put on the lineup. And the, and the guy who lived across the street from where the robbery happened, he didn't identify me. He, he, he said I wasn't the person that came out of the store, you know. 
so they let me go. And and uh, and I went on to Chicago. I went on back to Chicago and, and, and tried to resume uh, uh, my life. Um, and uh, I got arrested in Chicago. Uh, and... Uh, the uh, the FBI uh, uh, got involved, and they said they were looking for me for a, 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 a you know interstate flight to avoid prosecution. And uh, I was taken back to St. Louis by these detectives, and uh, I was accused of killing a uh, uh, a white uh, shoe store owner, and. Uh, I was I was identified by the guy that they had arrested for doing this. I I I barely I, I barely knew this guy. You know, I don't remember doing nothing with him. Uh, I do remember being with him when I when I was high, but I don't remember doing nothing with him. And uh, he signed six confessions to six different crimes, and he included me in all of them. And the only reason why I was able to get out of most of them is because I could prove that I was in Chicago at the time, you know. Uh, and uh, some of this proof came from the FBI because the FBI was looking for me for draft dodging. You know, I'd been I'd, I'd been ducking the draft, you know, since uh, 1959. This was 1961. And, uh, but the, uh, the, murder, the, the murder charge, they, uh, uh, it, it stuck because they, uh, you know, they, 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 they beat me and they, they, uh, they gave me the white light treatment until I gave them a confession, you know, and, uh, and I was facing the death penalty. And so, uh, they said the only way I could beat the death penalty was to confess. Uh, and they, and, and, you know, in, in the process of the interrogation and whatnot, I'll be quite frank with you, they had, they had convinced me that I, you know, torture is a hell of a thing. You know, they they had convinced me that I was guilty. You know, uh, I, I didn't want to go through no more pain. And uh, so uh, I ended up facing the death penalty. And uh, I, met, I met a priest when I was in jail named Father Clark, who got me really interested in, in, the, in fighting to save my life. You know, he was against the death penalty. And... Uh, and I was fortunate enough to have a public defender who also didn't believe in the death penalty. So uh, so we started putting up a fight. But uh, nowhere at no time was it mentioned that I had that I, was, that I had escaped from a mental institution, you know. So really, legally, I had no business even facing those charges because I was I had escaped from a, from a mental hospital. You know, I was I was not competent to stand trial, and uh, and yet they prosecuted me anyway and gave me life in fifty years. So, and, and that fact about the escape from the mental hospital became key. We'll get to that in uh, in getting your release, I think. Yes, it did. So, but uh, let, let's. I want to skip forward a little bit. I mean, there was you know at this time, uh, you know, you you talk in the book, and uh, I want to encourage our fight back radio listeners to get the book. Um, to uh, uh, about you know you were depressed you were your head wasn't really always in a good place but uh, you dove into uh, reading and uh, into study 
Uh, eventually, you went to the Missouri uh, Penitentiary, um, and uh, um, you, uh, you you started reading. Uh, you know, actually, your your book is it's a it's like a, a bibliography in a lot of ways. You go <laughs> through of all many of the things that you read, but you started by reading uh, philosophy and then natural science, some of the history of natural science you did. Yeah. Um, can you talk about that period in your life and how, well, how, uh, how your, uh, what your uh, thoughts were what, at that time? When I was in the city jail what, what, facing the death penalty, uh, I, I actually thought that they were going to kill me. So uh, uh, I, uh, uh, it's like I was going to die before I really had a chance to live. I, wouldn't, but I was 18 going on 19. And and so uh, my, my mind got real uh, activated in terms of uh, uh, reading, particularly reading stuff about law and, and things like that. But I also uh, uh, read some history books and I also read some philosophy. Two books that 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 that, that, that stood out for me was Outline of History by H. G. Wells and the Story of Philosophy by Will Durant. Uh, the, these books really got me to thinking about uh, the meaning of life, you know. And uh, uh, really uh, 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 created within me some motivation and, and, and a desire uh, not only to live but to fight, but, but to fight for my right to live, you know. And uh, so that's how I got started. It's, it's a long story. I, I, I detail it in the book, but that's how I got started. And. Uh, and, and you go through it in the, throughout the book. You talk about things that you were reading at different times and your impressions of those very deep uh, books. And often, you know, you weren't you're, you're not reading uh, the lightweight uh, novel that you get at the at the drugstore. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I was I, I was I was looking in that regard because of, of, of people like Father Clark and 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 some of the prisoners on on the uh, on on in the jail with me. You know, who were uh, who were also great, great readers. Uh, and uh, I kind of uh, just, you know, that was, to be quite honest with you, that's how I dealt with my imprisonment. Because, uh, you know, jail was a very harsh place. And so a, a lot of my reading had to do with escapism, you know. Although, uh, uh, People may find it hard to believe in terms of how studying philosophy and mathematics and science and all that have to do with that. Well, that was that was where my mind took me, you know, and and uh, and, and and the more I read, uh, the more I begin to find out about uh, you know uh, the struggle for freedom. You know, I also read Frederick Douglass. I also read. Uh, 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 you know, Karl Marx uh, and, 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 and things like that. And and I begin to see that, uh, you know, that the, uh, that oppressed people get their freedom by fighting, by, by fighting for it, you know. Uh, and, and that I, uh, I was not unique in, in, in the situation that I was in. That there were millions of people uh, throughout the world and throughout history that have been in, precisely in these very same situations, you know. I read uh, Les Miserables by uh, Victor Hugo, where uh, one of the main characters of the book is a, is, a, is a prisoner named John Valjean. He went to prison for trying to steal some bread to feed 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 a hungry child, and, and 
and and and you know, and his torment and his pain and whatnot, I could relate to it, you know. So uh, I got involved in uh, in in uh, you know on an intellectual level, in in, in learning about uh, op oppression, and 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 and, and fighting against it. And then I, I looked around me in the prison, and, and you know, uh, this was not just uh, uh, about reading. Uh, the conditions in prison were horrible, you know. Uh, I lived in a, in, in, in a racially segregated prison, and, and the black prisoners lived in the worst cells under the worst conditions, you know. I talk about that in the book, how, how, how terrible the conditions were under which we lived. And so... Uh, well, let's let's get into that a little bit. So you had, uh, okay. So you were you were sentenced. You you weren't uh, thankfully you weren't uh, uh, executed. You were sentenced to life plus fifty years. You were moved from the jail to a a, a prison. A, you know, one, one of the worst in the country. One of the worst prisons in the country. And uh, you know, intellectually, you were you were diving into some pretty deep stuff. But um, you, as you embraced. Uh, the freedom struggle, you wanted to put it into practice. And, and there was, you know, the segregation in the prison. There's different, I mean, could you talk a little bit about, you know, there's different forces. You know, you had racists, you know, Nazis, you had uh, Muslims, uh, you had different, uh, you know, probably all different kinds. You had the, the, the guards, the administration. How did all that fit together? And how what was your strategy to, to actually change things and, as you started to build a, a fight? Well, I I, I, I developed a strategy in the fight. Uh, you know, the, the main things that happen in prison is 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 the prison administration and the prisoners. The prison administration is 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 is, is keeping the prisoners locked up, uh, keeping them working, uh, and it's a very it's very it's a very oppressive situation. You know. Uh, and uh, uh, when you when you when you rise up against that situation and fight against it, they punish you. You know, the punishment is is, is harsh. You know, solitary confinement, beatings, that sort of thing. Uh, and uh, so I, I became interested in 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 challenging the legality of all of this because I met a a, a white prisoner named Walter Nolan, who was really kind of a legal genius. And uh, uh, you know he uh, he was a jailhouse lawyer, and and did he know the law? So he showed me through through law how to uh, how to challenge the uh, uh, the conditions in the prison. He uh, he helped me fashion the first civil rights suit that I ever uh, did in my life, and 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 that and that suit challenged the uh, uh, the racist segregation that was going on inside the prisons. It, it, it challenged the uh, the, the, the differential treatment of the black prisoners and, and, and whatnot and, and, and challenge the overall prison conditions all, all together, like the uh, overcrowdedness. You know, we have black prisoners living uh, uh, four and six prisons to a cell, while white prisoners live two and one prison to a cell. Two, two prisoners in a cell was, 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 was the greatest it got for white. And these cells are all pretty much the same size. But then... In, 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 in the black in the in, in the black cell house, you had four people and six people in in the cell, you know, one 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 toilet, one face bowl, and 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 six people living in there, you know. Oh my God! That's uh, that's that's set up for conflict. 
So a lot of violence went on in the, in, in the black cell block because it was very congested. People living on top of each other, you know. And so we uh, we we challenged those conditions in court, fought them, and eventually we got that changed. They had to uh, they had to they had to get rid of that 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 that, that black cell block, and, and 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 give us access to the same kind of housing that the white prisoners had access to. So that so winning that showed us that we could uh, that we could not only challenge the system but also that we could improve our conditions mm-hmm. you know and so we started organizing uh, and by that time I had become a communist by that time I had uh, become convinced that capitalism was a crime against humanity and uh, needed to be overthrown so um, okay so you organized a uh uh, and you eventually won this, uh, uh, getting rid of this uh, segregation in the prison. But um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, the, the administration didn't just say, oh, well, Frank has a good idea there, he's going to court. Uh, there was repression as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Can you talk I, a little I, bit about how the... Uh, well, well, I talk about that in the, in, in, in the book, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we circulated a petition to uh, 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 against the prison administration for the very things that I just got them talking about. And and we had a number of prisoners signed on to it, black and white prisoners, and 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 the warden would not let the petition go out, and so and so there's a rebellion inside the prison, and and um, we uh, we selected a uh, a committee to negotiate with the warden about what we wanted. All we wanted was for him to allow the petition to go out to the courts so that we would have our day in court. He didn't, he didn't want to do that. So 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 what he what he chose to do with us is to throw us into solitary confinement. So we were in solitary confinement for nine months, you know, uh, because of, because of this. And while we were down there, uh, we uh, we organized protests, and uh, they had the uh, the white prisoners and the black prisoners all in the same section of the cell block uh, in in administrative segregation, and so. Read the book. We go into details in the book, but but basically what we did was we uh, 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 we organized the white prisoners and the black prisoners to fight against what was going on in administrative segregation, the harsh conditions to which we were subjected to, and 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 and, and we expanded those demands, you know, to uh, uh, give us our day in court, to the board and letting the petition uh, go to the court. And uh, and what they what the administration did in response to that, they took about maybe a dozen or so of us and put us in a in in in, in a cell block that was only physically supposed to be big enough for about maybe four people, and they and they piled us all in there together, and they uh, they they shot us with ninety pound pressure fire hoses, they sprayed us with chemical mace. And then they cut all ventilation off uh, in that in that in that in that cell area, so that we thought that we were going to die. And that I mentioned that because that was the act, the barbaric act on the part of the prison administration that brought the black and the white prisoners together. There were white prisoners who was in that block with us who uh, who were Nazis. You know, they believed in uh, 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 Nazism. Uh, there were black there were black prisoners there who were who were uh, who were nationalists who, who who thought white people were devils you know 
but 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 that brought us together. You know, we forgot about who was the Nazi and who was the devil and all that shit, and 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 started fighting together as prisoners against the prison administration. And and once we got united like that through that mutual suffering and pain, uh, the warden can disunite us. But that's just, that's that's the story that we tell in the book, you know. So yeah, so it's it's a good teaser, uh, and uh, you know, black and white unity I think is can be elusive or difficult uh, uh, anywhere at any time, but this is particularly uh, the case here. Um, I, you know, and during this time period, you also uh, you mentioned in the book uh, uh, this you know around the country there was resistance going on in the prisons uh, during the time you were in there, and. There was gains being made in in some reforms. This was the sixties. Yes. So, I mean, but one of the things you mentioned in the book, and maybe the most famous prison revolt, was uh, that in New York uh, at Attica State. Yes. And yes, uh, yes. Um, and it had. Uh, could you talk a little bit about what that was for our, our younger listeners who may not have heard of that, and um, also uh, the effect it had on the prisoners, even in Missouri, uh, that where you were. Yeah. Well, Attica took place in nineteen seventy one. And, and uh, you know, uh, there was a, tr- a tremendous amount of political repression that was going on in 1971. Angela Davis was in jail. Uh, they, were, they were trying to, uh, 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 well, they had framed her up on, 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 on murder charges. They were trying to, uh, get, uh, you know, get rid of her. Uh, many Black Panthers were in jail uh, on trumped-up charges. Uh, peace activists were in jail on trumped-up charges. Some peace activists had been killed, like, you know, at the Kent State Massacre. Uh, some black activists had been killed at Jackson State. Uh, there was a lot going on, <laughs> you know. And, 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 and there were prison uprisings all over the place. There had been some in Ohio, uh, Ohio State Penitentiary. They, 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 took, a, they took a cannon and and shot a hole in the wall and went, and went in that penitentiary to put down a, a rebellion. There, there was a, a, a rebellion at the prison. I was in Missouri State Penitentiary where, uh, uh, you know, I go into the details of that rebellion in my book. It got it got pretty harsh. Uh, and that was in 1969 when these, all these rebellions were taking place. Well, in 1971, when the Attica revolt uh, or took place the Attica Rebellion it was kind of a culmination of all of all of this you know uh, uh, going on throughout the country in prisons and 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 we knew instantly what it was about because it's the same thing that I just got through talking to you about we were all fighting to to uh, address these inhuman socialist savage conditions that we were just we were dealing with in as as prisoners, you know, uh, we would, uh, you know, we weren't calling for the abolition of prison. We, the struggle hadn't reached that point yet. We, we were just calling to be for, to be treated as human beings, you know. Uh, we we were just saying, you know, uh, treat us as human beings. And in the words of the Attica brothers, you know, like right before Rockefeller sent them uh, the the troops in there, state troopers and troops in there to to, to kill them, they said if we can't live like men then we'll die like men, you know? And that was kind of like the sentiment of all of us, you know? So the Attica brothers were, uh, uh, had, had deep meaning for us, and, uh, and, 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 and we, uh, 
unconditionally stood in solidarity with them. And, you know, uh, if you if you follow the story after Attica, uh, the struggle still went on in the prisons. You know, it still went on, you know. George Jackson, you know, the struggle still went on. Uh, the Solidad brothers, the struggle mm-hmm. still went on. Uh, what was going on in the Missouri State Penitentiary with, with us? You know, we had we had organized a Marxist-Leninist collective inside the prison. At least we thought of ourselves as a Marxist-Leninist collective, and 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 we were fighting to desegregate the prison, and 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 to create uh, conditions where prisoners could get in literature, revolutionary literature, and whatnot. You know. We got international publishers to set up a uh, uh, a fund to uh, send send prisoners uh, literature on Marxism and that sort of thing. We established uh, connections with the Communist Party on the streets. We established connections with the uh, uh, United Committees of, to Free Angela Davis and all political prisoners, you know. Uh, and so that and so Attica was was in was in that environment in that in that in. Well, well, let me let me ask you about that. So, uh, as you started to reach out beyond the prison walls, um, I want to ask you about a um, a communist from uh, St. Louis named uh, Herschel Walker. This is not the the great running back for the Georgia Bulldogs and uh, Dallas Cowboys, and a terrible politician. But this guy's a great pilot. I don't know if he played football at all, but he was a but he was a people's you know people's uh, hero. And uh, an important in your life, and so that's they share a name, but not anything else. Uh, but uh, but Herschel Walker, uh, could you talk a little bit about uh, um, you know uh, the, your you know how you two came in contact and the role he played in your well, life? I, I met Herschel. I, I met Herschel Walker without meeting him. <laughs> um, the St. Louis Argus newspaper, which is a black newspaper, it it, it it came into the prison. We could get black newspapers in the prison. And I read about Herschel Walker in that newspaper where he was trying to open up a W.B. Du Bois club in St. Louis. And, uh, and it mentioned in there that he was the chairman of the, of, the, of the Communist Party of Missouri. So I said, wow, I didn't even know they had a Communist Party in Missouri. And so uh, just based on that, I, uh, I, I had a letter smuggled out to him. One of the prisoners who was going home uh, he's dead now. His name was Javis Spragans. We called him Jazo. Uh, we gave him a, a letter. We smuggled a letter out through him, and he gave a letter to Herschel Walker. And then Herschel Walker wrote wrote me back as, as my, under my sister's name because you could only get letters at that time from people that were on your mailing list. And uh, and he the, the letter he wrote back, he was so happy to hear that we had something going on in the prison dealing with Marxism and communism. And and that that really uh, that really excited him, and he said that uh, he would do anything and everything in his power to help us to get out, you know. And I didn't even know him, you know. And I got this kind of a response from him, and I said, "Wow, so so these these, these communists are really something." Uh, his, this guy doesn't even know me, you know, and and he, he's responding like that. So I said, "Well, you know, I don't know." I don't know why he's doing it, you know. It, 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 I couldn't, I couldn't make, really make any sense out of it. Uh, and then I looked around, and he had, he, he got a lawyer, and he sent a lawyer in there uh, named Arlie R. Woodrow. And this lawyer was a friend of his 
in fact, they were uh, they were they were they had worked on 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 founding of the Sharecroppers Union back in the uh, back in the thirties in Arkansas. And so I, I found uh, and and Tamnus lawyer came in to see me. He brought me some copies of the Black Panther Party paper. He brought me some copies of the uh, 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 the Worker, which was a, a Communist Party newspaper. And I said, "Damn, you know these these people are serious." And so that's how that relationship got started. And we kept that relationship until I got out. Okay. So um, I, I want to fast forward a little bit because uh, there's a, you have a, like as I said, you have a, a rich life. But uh, um, I encourage people to read the book. I and mean, there's a lot in there about, uh, um, you know, the people you just mentioned and this whole process of you uh, getting, uh, you know, education for uh, prisoners and, uh, and being able to utilize that uh, to, um, you know, to whatever, enrich the life of you as a prisoner and, and your education. But also, mm-hmm. it, I think it helped uh, get you out as well. But when you got out of prison, um, you know, you were, uh, and from then till now, uh, you've said, uh, you know, that it was the movement that got you out and uh, you wanted to uh, give back to the movement. You uh, you wanted to be uh, an organizer. And uh, so you started uh, organizing uh um, in in uh, St. Louis at first uh, with uh, the uh, National Alliance Against uh, Racist and Political Repression. Um, can you talk a little bit about the uh, the National Alliance, which is the organization close to your heart, um, and you know how they got founded, what you did in St. Louis, and a little bit about uh, that time period as well? Yeah. Well, let me say this here. Uh, when I got out of prison, I, I considered myself an organizer. I, that's what I was doing in prison. But I had never organized on the streets before. So uh, 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 when I got out, uh, I, I, I'm really eternally grateful for having had people like Charlene Mitchell and Herschel Walker in my life and Alice Wyndham and Angela Davis. Because when, when I came home, these people, uh, uh, they had already impressed me by their dedication when I was in the joint. But when I came home, I saw that they were doing way more on the streets than I even imagined that they were doing, you know. And so I became even further inspired. And uh, I wanted to be a part of this movement. And this movement had helped get me home. I wanted to be a part of this movement. And, and I wanted to get other, other people out that were, that were left behind. So we started a group in, in Missouri called Life is Incorporated. There was a guys like me that had life sentences that had been un- unjustly put in there, and so on, and and, uh, and 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 we and we built a connection between them and the movement on the streets, and then Charlene got me involved in in, in the work of the National Alliance against racism and political repression. I became a member of the national board, and uh, I got involved in, in in the struggle around the Wilmington Ten, the Joanne Little case. Uh, Johnny Minor Harris case, the George Merritt case, uh, Leonard Peltier case, uh, a Silas Shakur case, uh, some of the uh, 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 Pro, uh victims uh, uh, like Geronimo Pratt, uh, 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 Daruba, Ben 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 Wahad. Uh, so know. these are all cases of a uh, of political repression. Yes, and, yes, uh, yes, uh, yes, yes. But and this has been a cornerstone of what the, 
the national alliances stood for from it from the starting days with uh, Angela Davis up until today and in, in your case as well yes, yes. but I, I want to ask you about uh in St. Louis also though uh, you mentioned uh, Alice Wyndham and uh, uh, there's a uh, uh, there was a campaign to um, uh, keep open the uh, Homer G Phillips I think I got the name right hospital yeah, hospital, yeah. yeah which was uh, could you talk uh, yeah because you talk about uh, well that's that's a, that's a historical event <laughs> that 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 now is beginning to uh, be reviewed by historians and and, and others uh, Homer G Phillips Hospital was uh, a hospital that was founded by a black lawyer named Homer G Phillips in the late thirties. And the reason why that hospital was founded was because uh, black people had no hospital to go to in, in St. Louis, you know. So that became the, 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 the that became the black hospital. And he was he was he was able to convince the mayor of the city to make it a public hospital, and and uh, 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 and so that's that, that's that's what it was made. It was it was a, a, a segregated public hospital, and. They weren't expecting blacks to do as well with it as they did. Uh, they built that hospital up to a hospital of international renown because all of the medical students coming out of the South and whatnot uh, took their internships at that at that hospital. Uh, they, they had a, a, a nursing school attached to that hospital called Annie Malone. And, and they trained thousands of black, tens of thousands of black nurses over, over Period. So by the time we get to uh, 1978, or was it 1979, 1979, 1939 and 1979, by the time we get to 1979, Homer G. Phillips had the highest alumni of black doctors in the world. Wow. The highest alumni of black doctors in the world. And so... They wanted to close this hospital down because they had closed down the General Motors plant in St. Louis, which hired over 10,000 workers and, and some other plants. And, 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 and that eroded the tax base, you know. And so as a result of that, they started cutting public services and they wanted to close not only Homer G. Phillips, but all public hospitals in St. Louis. And so we uh, we organized an ad hoc committee to save Homer G. Phillips in all public hospitals. And, uh, you know, we had Angela Davis to come in and, 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 and do a rally for us. We were forced to stop trucks that came there to move the equipment out of the hospital. We, we were forced to throw up a barricade around the hospital where we had over 300 people out there uh, refusing to let these, uh, the, the, these trucks and these people move equipment out of that hospital and close that hospital. The, we organized the workers inside the hospital to, to come out and join the barricades with us, you know. Uh, and uh, that fight took place 17 days in August in 1979. The 17 days in August, we held them at bay. Wow. And, and, so, and, and, and the only way that they were able to break that uh, resistance was they, 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 they brought in about 500 cops 
and 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 they backed them up with helicopters, and and they and they put the uh, National Guard on alert, and that's how they broke it. And uh, uh, once they broke the picket line, once they once they once they broke the resistance, then the, we went into the community and started fighting for it. And and in some ways, that fight is still going on. Yeah. No, it's uh, for the, well, the battle for quality health care is not just, uh, you know, in the black community, especially, but throughout the country is, is central. Um, so I want to ask you, uh, you know, after St. Louis, you went to New York to work for the Alliance. I want to ask you about somebody uh, uh, you mentioned her a couple of times already, Charlene Mitchell, who was uh, in your book. You mentioned her as the cornerstone of the, uh, the battle to free Angela Davis. Uh, but and, and and when you went to New York, you actually met her and, and were able to work shoulder to shoulder with her. Could you talk? And we lost her this last year. We dedicated a, an episode of Fight Back Radio to Charlene. Could you talk a little bit about uh, who Charlene Mitchell was and uh, what she meant to you and to our movement? Yeah, Charlene Mitchell was one of the most amazing leaders I've met in my life, and I've met a few. Uh, She uh, she was the first black woman to run for president of the United States. And she did it on the Communist Party ticket. That's why most of you never heard of it, you know. Um, when I met her, uh, she was uh, she was a much respected and, 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 and greatly admired leader of the mass movement to free Angela Davis and all political prisoners. And so when I met her, she was the executive director of the National Alliance Against Race and Political Repression. And she was also a member of the Central Committee of the Communist Party. And I can say, in addition to her being a, a, a great leader and a, and, a, and a great organizer, I can say without uh, mincing my words, that she put together one of the most powerful movements in the 20th century one of the most powerful mass movements to free political prisoners and people who were repressed by this system for their political beliefs. And that was the movement to free Angela Davis and all political prisoners. There hasn't been any movement that massive in the history of this country. And she put that together. And when I met this very humble, very uh, a courageous woman, I, uh, I, 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 I I was struck with wonderment. I, how did how did somebody like this put together this powerful movement? And then after I got to work with her for about ten years, I understood how. You know, she was an organizing genius, and and, and it was it was. Uh, uh, I learned so much from her. I, I I could write a whole book about that, about what I learned from Charlene Mitchell. Uh, she was. Uh, uh, she was a great leader. That might, that might be your next book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you you followed in her footsteps because you have her her job now. You're the executive director of the National Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression, and I, I want to talk a little bit about about that organization. Well, I can't wear her shoes, but <laughs> fair point. But uh, I want to talk about the National Alliance. Uh, you know, you uh, uh, you went through a number of things. You worked for unions. Uh, I encourage people to read the book. Uh, you had some difficult, you know, some personal difficulties uh, 
with uh, with uh, addiction, et cetera, which you talk about. But uh, I want to go back to you came back to Chicago in uh, 2010, which is where we are now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you joined the alliance uh, and it, it was on the downtick then, you know, and so uh, and it's been uh, it's been turned around. There's been a refounding of the National Alliance, the Chicago Alliance. Uh, and, you know, I want to give credit to the people that were here when you got here, too, because it was the people that kept so, it alive and absolutely, kept it absolutely. going during the downtime. Uh, there's no uptime without the, without the fighters Joseph, in the downtime. Yeah. Josephine uh, Wyatt in particular. Josephine Wyatt, yes. Uh, Ted Pierce and some others, too. I'm sure you could tell us them all. So I, I don't want to leave names, but read the book. that They're in there. Um and uh, uh, but yeah, could you talk about uh, how the the alliance was rebuilt from 2010 to here we are today in uh, 2023, and uh, headed for uh, you know in, and the refounding of the national alliance? How you did that, and you coming? Well, up to I, I can give some high marks, and, and, it, and it's not so much about how I did it; it's about how we did it. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I can give some high some high marks because uh, 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 that's a very detailed story, and. Uh, we are uh, we're in the process of telling that story too, called historical roots of, of, of the struggle for community controlled police. Uh, we're going to update that pamphlet, which is going to include a lot of a lot of which is going to, which is going to be the answer to what you just asked me. Uh, I remember when I when I when I, when I, I, I came here from New York and, and first got involved uh, around the question of community control for the police. Josephine White had asked me to. Uh, to get involved with the Chicago Alliance, and I and and, and, and I, I took it as a, as an honor, you know, uh, coming from her. She was also a great organizer, and uh, she was uh, very upset about the uh, John Burge torture cases, and, and 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 she she said, Frank, I don't know how we let this happen. This happened right under our noses. And I said, "What, Josephine?" So she took, so she gave me a history about how all these young black men and some women had been tortured by the police and sent to jail for stuff that they didn't do, and they were still languishing in jail. So she uh, she wanted me to uh, to help with that, and of course I agreed to do it. And so when I got involved. Uh, with, with, with helping with that with, with that with that struggle uh, in uh, March of 2012 a young black woman by the name of Rakia Boyd was shot in the head and killed by the police officer Dante Servin and she was shot in the head in a park he shot into a crowd not a crowd but he shot into a group of young black people who he claimed was making too much noise and it woke him up, you know. Uh, I couldn't believe this shit. And, and uh, so one one month, exactly one month after that incident happened, uh, we met in the Alliance office, which was then down on, on Wabash, and we formed uh, a, a, a committee to stop police crimes. And out of that committee to stop police crimes, we organized a campaign called CPAC, Civilian Police Accountability Council. And uh, uh, Rakia Boyd's uh, brother helped us with it. Uh, uh, the All Women's Points Bulletin helped us with it. Uh, 
and a lot of families who had lost loved ones like, uh, uh, you know, uh, Emmett, uh, Emmett Foreman, the father of Flint Foreman, uh, worked with us, you know. And, and, and so that's how we got the campaign for CPAC started. And, 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 and we had a very clear political objective, you know. Uh, we wanted to have uh, not uh, a review board. We had that already, Independent Police Review Authority, called IPRA. We, we, we didn't want a review board. We wanted community control of the police. We wanted the people who were, who were being impacted by police terror and, and police crimes, we wanted them to have a direct voice in saying who policed their communities and how their communities are police. You know, we wanted them to have community control of the police because the police had gotten out of control. The police had engaged in all kinds of criminal acts against black people and were not being punished. We're not, we're not being held accountable on any level, in any kind of way, you know. And so uh, we called our first meeting on that in... Uh, in 2012, uh, in Inglewood, and about 150 people came out. And then we called another meeting in 2013, and about 250 people came out. And then we had a major demonstration in 2000. Uh, what was it? 15, and uh, and, 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 and 3,000 people came out. Uh, so the movement began to build and build and build. Uh, we went from that 150 to having over 10,000 supporters uh, citywide that uh, uh, by, uh, uh, by 2018 or 2016 uh, supporting uh, our movement. So we built one of the most massive movements anywhere in this country, right here in Chicago, uh, demanding that we have community control of the police. And that movement... Uh, 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 it's, it's continuing to this day, you know. Uh, our demand has not been fully met, but we have taken some steps uh, that have gone further than anybody else has gone. We now have uh, legislation that we've gotten passed in private communities for public safety. We now have a, uh, a, a citywide commission for public, uh, for public safety and police accountability. We have elected in, the, in 22 police districts we have people elected uh, in those districts who uh, will uh, who's, who are responsible for making sure that the uh, 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 the concerns of the people who live in those districts are addressed in terms of public safety, in terms of police accountability, and, and uh, <clears throat> that's that's a very significant step in the uh, in, in on the road to us having. Uh, community control of the police. Uh, that's a significant steps in, 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 in realizing the dream of Fred Hampton and, and, and the Black Panther Party who raised this uh, battle cry uh, back in 1969, community control of the police. So uh, that's what I've been involved in since I've been in Chicago, and that's what I'm involved in right now. So, um Yes, and unfortunately for us, our time is winding down. We'll have to have you back another time. But I, I want to encourage people 
to uh, purchase the book, uh, which I'll hold up here for those of you that are watching on YouTube, um, which is called The Damned uh, Don't Cry. We'll put in the show notes how you can reach it, but it's it's uh, the second edition is by International Publishers, and their website is uh, intpubnyc.com. Uh, uh, and it's, you can also get it at uh, Fightback Radio, I'm sorry, fightbacknews.org. And so... Um, uh, we encourage people to to get the book. Also, I want to mention fr- this is uh, Frank's first book. His second book, uh, which uh, you can go back and listen to an interview with Frank on Fight Back Radio, it was one of our first uh, episodes. But uh, uh, it's called Marxist Leninist uh, um, Perspectives. Marxist Leninist Perspectives on Black Liberation and Socialism, right. and uh, excellent book. So both, I, I encourage people to read both of those. Um, and uh, but before we sign off, is there anything uh, that we didn't mention that you want to mention here, Frank? I most certainly do. Uh, I want everybody to know and, and, and to tell your friends and your neighbors and your comrades that on November the third, fourth, and fifth, we're having uh, the fiftieth anniversary. Con- well, we have an, our, our national conference of the. National Alliance Against Race and Political Repression, and we'll be celebrating our 50th anniversary, our 50th anniversary, because we started as a national organization in this city in 1973, 1973, and uh, so that's 50 years ago, that's, that's 50 years ago, and we'll be celebrating that uh, this coming uh, November 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Uh, we, we're expecting Angela, Angela Davis to be one of our guest speakers. Well, she's going to be one of our guest speakers. Uh, whether or not she'll be here in person, that we have to work that out. Uh, uh, the uh, president of Chicago Teachers Union, uh, Stacey Davis Gates, will also be one of our speakers. And uh, there'll be many other people there that you'll want to meet and know from all over the country and from different parts of the world. This is going to be a great, uh, a great political event, and it's also going to be a great festive event. And uh, we, uh, we encourage you to go online right now and register for this conference. Go to nwarpr.org and register. Go there and register for the uh, conference of the National Alliance Against Race and Political Repression coming up on November the 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Okay. Thank you, Frank. And, and we'll put that in the show notes so people can go down there and just click on it. Um, come to Chicago uh, for the 50th anniversary of the National Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression. Uh, you can hear Angela Davis, Stacey Davis-Gates, who's the president of my union. It's going to be at the Chicago Teachers Union Hall, uh, which we're proud to host that. Um, so, uh, yes. Uh, and uh, thank you so much, Frank. Uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. And uh, read the book. Read the book. Uh, the Damn Don't Cry. So uh, thank you all. Okay, so that was Frank Chapman. And uh, we want to encourage people to, to purchase his book and to show up at the National Alliance Against Racist and Political Repressions uh, Convention uh, in November. Um, you can uh, uh, get both of those things in our show notes. You just scroll down. Also, we'll put in the show notes how to get a hold of Frank's. Uh, that was his first book, but his second book was called uh, Marxist-Leninist Perspectives on Black Liberation and Socialism, uh, which I think is one of the more important 
books of the 21st century. So we'll put how to get that in the show notes as well. Uh, we encourage you, uh, of course, as always, to, to tell a friend about our podcast, to let people know, and uh, give us five stars, thumbs up. If you write a review, that helps move us up the, uh, the chain so people can find us. We appreciate that. Um, if you have criticisms of, uh, of our podcast, uh, or if you'd want to give us suggestions uh, for guests or how to make it better, uh, you can reach us at richard.fightbackradio at gmail.com. So uh, uh, I want to thank again, finally, um, our production team who does just a, such a spectacular job on a regular basis. Uh, Vince Olson, Shane Tremley, Natalie Pranis, and Doug McColgan. And I'm Richard Berg for the entire Fight Back Radio team saying until next time, all power to the people. Power to the people.